This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com slash star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, 7 months or 10 months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good evening and welcome to Your Radio Doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Hope you all had a wonderful July 4th holiday. Tonight, we're very happy to welcome the return of our stellar guest, Dr. John Zerlo, to give us a state of the COVID address And we'll be discussing testing, treatment, COVID vaccines, and then a few words about monkeypox. Dr. John Zerlo, the W. Paul and Ida H. Havens Professor and Chief of Infectious Diseases at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital and the Chair of the Jefferson Enterprise COVID-19 Task Force. John, welcome and thank you for sharing your time, especially since this battle with COVID is not quite over yet. Uh, Thanks as always for having me. So, John, where would you say we are in the pandemic? Well, I think as everybody's seen, it certainly came on us quickly back in early 2020. We've seen these various peaks. The first peak in the spring of 2020, we were really caught off guard. Um, Things seemed to settle down in the summer, then back up in the winter again. Um, And then happily, we had a vaccine, which we thought was really going to solve the problem. And the vaccine has largely been successful, less at preventing COVID completely, but um, certainly well as a as a uh, uh, something to prevent people from getting severely ill from COVID. And then, of course, we went through last summer when things were quiet, and then building up to the so-called Omicron uh, peak that happened in January. And now we've sort of settled into this sort of plateau of where we are with cases, as you see the. Omicron variant has, you know, morphed into various sub sub variants. You know, we hear about BA four and BA five. So we're, we're sort of in this plateau phase over the last month or two, and and that's where we seem to have settled. And so a patient might have a new diagnosis, and I guess we could talk about treatment in terms of, I guess, four areas, right? Those who are vaccinated, those who aren't vaccinated, and if you start with people who are vaccinated, you'll divide them into two, maybe three groups, those at low risk, healthy, younger people, and those at greater risk. So maybe if we start with 
a newly diagnosed case of COVID, a patient who's younger and healthy? How do you go about treating or do you just watch? Well, you know, most people, especially in that category, really wouldn't require any kind of hospitalization. And in fact, one of the things that's really changed in COVID is uh, the fact that we have so much, so much in the way of home testing. You know, many of these, uh, many, many people are diagnosed at home, they stay home. Um, and, and so for young, healthy people who perhaps self-diagnose, there's really nothing that's, that's necessary. If they get sick enough to be in the hospital, then we, we try and make a, 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 a judgment about them. I mean, if for people even young and healthy, they can develop serious COVID disease. Happily, that's not common. So as we see people coming into the hospital, if we watch their oxygen levels drop particularly quickly, then even the young and healthy, we're going to try and treat um, with all the, the treatments that we now can, can employ, you know. So some, some, a younger, healthy person with no risk factors like asthma or, or heart disease, you don't jump right to Paxlovid. We'll talk about that oral therapy. Um, correct. We're going to just treat them symptomatically, Tylenol and bed rest and fluids the way we did with the flu. How about somebody who's over 65 who doesn't have comorbidities? Yeah, we know that age is a significant risk factor, you know, really beginning at age 50. For each decade, 50, then 60, then 70, then 80, the risk of serious COVID certainly becomes greater. And so for somebody who has absolutely no other risk, you know, if they're 50 years old and they're not particularly ill, we might not do anything. If you're 60, if you're 70, we make these kind of judgments that even fully vaccinated people who've been through the boosters, we may uh, want to treat them uh, early in the course of their illness to try and keep them from getting sick. And what do you think you would reach for first, the oral therapy or the immunoglobulins? Yeah, we think, you know, th there's sort of a, a, a hierarchy. We think that this medication Paxlovid, this, which is a pill, contains two different medicines in one. We think that's the most effective based on the best data that we have. You know, the second in line is this, um, the monoclonal antibodies. We, we use different ones. We've changed the, the formulations of them to, to meet the various strains of virus that have come out. Um, and then we have this the antiviral medicine, remdesivir, that we can use also. All of those are important that, that they be used early in the, in the course of symptoms. So mm -hmm. if you develop symptoms and a day later you test positive and perhaps you're in a high-risk group, older medical problems, especially immunosuppressed, that's the ideal time to employ one of these treatments. But the Paxlovid is probably our first our, our first choice in, in such a situation. So by day five, is that a cutoff after which you say, A, if you haven't, uh, your case hasn't accelerated into danger zone, you're probably going to coast out of this? And or would the Paxlovid be much less effective if we wait till after day five? I think both are true, um, which is to say, if you're really going to deteriorate and, and, and get sick, requiring oxygen, maybe even uh, require intensive care and, and, and being on a ventilator. <clears throat> that, if that marches along, certainly by day five and six, I'm not sure that any of the treatments really have much of a benefit. So we'd like to catch people really early within, within the first five days of symptoms and start therapy when, be, before the virus has really caused the, 
the bad kinds of problems, especially in the lungs and, mm-hmm. and, and, and all the other complications that we see. Now, I, you know all the possible side effects, but for our listeners, there are certain medications like you don't want to take the Paxlovid. I, I pronounced it Paxlovid. Sorry about that. <laughs> you don't want to use that oral therapy if you're on statins, but you can live without your statins for the short time that you're on it. But there are other medications that might interf- might uh, react with the Paxlovid and you wouldn't make that uh, choice, right? Yeah, I think that's going to be a very careful discussion with uh, with with your doctor. So mm-hmm. if you're on a lot of different medications because of a lot of medical problems, and in particular, if you've had an organ transplant and you're on medicines that suppress your immune system, we know that those are key. Um, there's some key interactions with those medications. And there are ways we can adjust medications to allow for the course to continue. But that's, that's a very careful discussion. Involve your, your doctor as well as your pharmacist to, mm-hmm. de- to determine if that's going to work. Well, I bring that up because I want our listeners to realize, especially if you're pregnant, if you're nursing, there are lots of reasons why Paxlovid should not be taken. So don't think you can take your spouses or your friends or your brothers or sisters. Uh, Is that a good point to make there? Yeah, that's true. I I don't know about the pregnancy part, but most certainly some of the other medical issues and including the... um in, again, including uh, immunosuppressive medications, it's very, very important that uh, if you're going to take that medication, most certainly that you speak with your doctor about it. Mm-hmm. And are you still using um, the antibodies very often? We are. Um, we, we still would guide people to the Paxlovid. I mean, if you think about it, it's so much easier taking a pill you know, mm-hmm. twice a day for five days, as opposed to setting up an infusion and, and all the, the challenges with that. But nonetheless, we, we certainly are doing infusions nowhere near the volume we did say back in January or last year, you know, a few a week that we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the other category of people would be those patients who are not vaccinated, but your approach would be pretty similar. You might just be on the lookout that much more quickly, or the patient should be because they haven't the protection of the vaccine that decreases the risk for severe symptoms and or death. Yeah, that's exactly correct. The vaccines work exactly that way to to prevent the serious problems from COVID. Mm -hmm. Let's take a little break and join us after the break with Dr. John Zerlo. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. Hi, I'm Dr. Denny Carice, Chief Science Officer at Recovery Centers of America, and I'm here as your addiction expert. I get asked a lot by family members, you know, my loved one had a problem with cocaine or heroin. Why can't they have wine with dinner with me? Because I like to drink wine and it wasn't my problem, right? Well, I think about it like this. There's a genetic component to addiction overall, and there's lots of different genes. But if you've got it, you're going to have a predisposition towards addiction to many different things. But the reality is that somebody who had a problem with one drug is very likely to develop a problem with another drug or with alcohol. Look at it like that carnival game on the boardwalks, whack-a-mole, where they come up and you hit it down and another one pops up and you hit that one down. 
that's kind of what this is like. You don't want to have all the different addictions coming up while you're whacking one down at a time. That's why people that have a problem with one drug really have to quit all mind-altering substances. So do yourself a favor. Know that they've got to quit all the different mind-altering substances. And maybe if you don't really need that wine with dinner, you can support them by not having it. After all, they're doing their best to maintain their recovery. If you or a loved one has a problem with alcohol or drugs, call 1-888-RECOVERY today or go to recoverycentersofamerica.com. We answer the phone and admit patients 24-7. That number again is 1-888-RECOVERY. I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. Are you in excruciating pain brought on by your son, daughter, or spouse suffering from addiction. You are not alone. If you call Recovery Centers of America today at 1-888-RECOVERY, your whole family can begin to recover. At Recovery Centers of America at Devon and Lighthouse, your loved one will be treated with care by expert addiction professionals, while family programming will give you support and healing so that you can recover as well. RCA accepts insurance, provides transportation, and offers intervention services. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like, how can the healthcare industry earn the trust of patients? And what if your health outcomes and access to care weren't defined by your skin color, sexuality, gender, or zip code? At Genentech, we're removing barriers and partnering across the medical community to make clinical research as diverse as the world we serve to ensure communities have access to healthcare. Learn how we are working to make healthcare more equitable at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. Welcome back to your radio doctor with our guest, Dr. John Zarlow, and an update on COVID therapy and testing. John, we were talking about therapy, and one of the things that's been in the news, uh, a few late night uh, TV show hosts talked about rebound after their oral therapy with uh, Paxlovid. Tell us about that, if you would. Yeah, well, and very famously, I think, you know, Dr. Tony Fauci had uh, s- such a reaction. So, I don't think we fully understand it, but remember that the drugs are designed to uh, reduce the level of virus. Uh, they're antiviral medications and um, and therefore allow the body's immune system to then come to the rescue and, and control the virus. Well, somehow, <clears throat> for people who get it as an early treatment, the immune system hasn't really come around fully, presumably, by the time the five-day course ends. And so there is some some uh, virus that's still capable of, of, of uh, sort of reacting and, and still causing trouble. Remember, we chose this five-day course based on, like everything else with COVID, kind of a, a rush to get something out. Uh, it's conceivable that maybe a longer course would be necessary to prevent that. Um, happily, it's not a common reaction, and, and I've not heard of anybody getting seriously ill from it, but something to watch out for. Mm-hmm. Are people complaining of any uh, specific side effects like nausea or anything that makes it harder to tolerate than you'd expect? 
Uh, no, I, I think those are, are the common symptoms, the, the gastrointestinal symptoms, nausea, a foul taste in the mouth, mm -hmm. uh, some, some, uh, sometimes vomiting. Uh, so that is the challenge to, to these medications. But by and large, they're reasonably well tolerated. We've certainly given out quite a bit of it, uh, prescribed quite a bit of it in, for our patient population. Mm -hmm. People have generally been able to finish the five-day course. Thank goodness. So let's talk about testing because I know I've had a lot of patients that were disappointed that go to the hospital to be tested. And we have to say, sorry, folks, we have to reserve testing at the hospital, COVID testing for those patients uh, returning for elective surgery or a procedure like colonoscopy. So where would we send those patients who think they have symptoms and want to get tested? Well, I think it's kind of variable. There really are a lot of testing sites throughout the Philadelphia area, for example. <clears throat> of course, almost every pharmacy is uh, equipped to do testing. And, and as we've seen that, uh, you know, home testing has become very, very uh, widespread. I, as you know, you can you can uh, go to the website and, and get free tests from the government, from the federal government. And those tests largely are, are accurate. They're good tests, especially for people who are symptomatic. So I, I don't think there's any shortage of availability of tests. Um, you know, we, we would prefer that people don't show up in emergency rooms just to get tested, for example. Uh, right. They show up to the emergency room if they're sick, but not, not to get tested. So, uh, so there's a lot of options, really. So the home tests have really improved, but there's still uh, a slight chance that they'll be falsely negative, meaning the test is negative, but but you have COVID. So if your your symptoms are convincing, that's when we might say we'll do a PCR test. So people are familiar with these terms, but the distinction is that the home test tests for the vi proteins of the virus, right? Correct. And PCR is a special chemical change that looks for the body's reaction, it looks for antibodies or the soldiers that fight off infection. So that's more accurate. But as you say, there's the inconvenience. You have to wait for a few days to get the answer. Um, and tell us a little more about that, if you would. Yeah. And, and I mean, it is a good test, and but it's not as widely available. Um, it can be done in certain cases reasonably quickly, but not as fast as an antigen test, which really can be done within 15 or 20 minutes. Um, we think it's it's clearly more sensitive in picking up little minute quantities of virus. Therefore, perhaps if you have very, very early COVID, um, it might pick it up faster or, or sooner than it would if you were to use one of these antigen tests. One of the downsides is um, because the various pieces of the virus can linger sometimes for weeks or even a few months, that test may still be positive long after people... Uh, have gotten over their COVID. And it doesn't mean that they're still infectious. It just means there are little residual pieces of the virus that we can still detect. So each of these tests has its pros and cons. The PCR is more sensitive, but the, the antigen test, um, it, it, it really is quite simple. It's quite available. It, it won't stay positive for weeks at a time. And uh, it's, it's in many cases for so many people, it's within their control. They can get the test. They can do the test at home. If it's negative, they're still sick. They can retest. True. So, That's yeah. I, I should have said that as well. Gotcha. Yeah. So if you're at home and you really think you have COVID, the first test is negative, repeat the home test. Um, if you're looking for something more accurate because you have worries with a lot of you know elderly people or people at risk in your house, you can get the PCR, but it might take a couple of days. 
And you spoke earlier about some a patient who's immunocompromised, and there is a, a, a long-acting injection for those patients, maybe somebody who's had a transplant or somebody who's immunocompromised from chemo or HIV. Tell us about that, if you would. Yeah, there's a product that's been out now for several months called Evusheld, and it's really the same thing as what we talked about earlier. These are monoclonal antibodies that are designed to specifically seek out and bind to the virus. But in this kind of uh, approach, instead of giving it as a a one-shot intravenous treatment for people with early COVID, it's used as two injections intramuscularly in both arms, for example, and it tends to hang around for a while so that the antibodies provide protection for people who are not sick with COVID, but who are at risk if they do get COVID, just as you mentioned, immunosuppressed people or people perhaps with, you know, multiple uh, uh, multiple medical problems, older people, and so um, and we think that the the effectiveness lasts for as long as six months. In which time, you know, wherever we are with COVID six months from now, then you get another course of treatment. So most certainly it works. Is is another name for that treatment prep? Pre-exposure Yeah, that's prophylaxis. A, that, right. Sure. That would be a good way to term it. Pre-exposure mm-hmm. prophylaxis. So pre meaning before the virus causes you infection. That's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've seen that advertised, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, for patients with HIV. Yeah, most certainly. Pre-exposure mm-hmm. prophylaxis, taking antivirals before engaging in any kind of at-risk behaviors that could uh, cause HIV mm-hmm. infection. So the boosters, um, I'm sure that a lot of patients had the two vaccines and a booster. Um, some had the second booster. Where are we with boosters and what do you see maybe for the, uh, as you say, BA4 and BA5? Let's talk about those a little bit. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the we've been through now, there's a recommendation generally of certainly getting one booster and and remember, we'll, we'll, we'll leave the category of people with immune system problems. They get a whole special set of vaccines. They get even, even further dosing. But for the, for the vast majority of the public, you know, we think that the two-dose, two typically first series, uh, followed by a booster, uh, is, is, of course, the, what we hope that most people who are vaccinated have gotten. The second booster, we seem to reserve that for people who are uh, you know, at particular high risk. It's not a, you must get a booster. It's you should consider getting a booster. People who are 50 and older, especially with medical problems. And so, you know, many people have had second boosters, but it's far from universal among those who've been vaccinated. So as we move forward, you know, as you've, as probably we've seen all in the newspapers, <clears throat> the vaccine companies are now designing vaccines that are a little bit different from what we can get now that are really focused on these circulating variants like the Omicron, the B, BA4 and BA5. So, um, and we would expect that in the, in the cold winter, uh, the cold weather uh, months, we might see a rise in cases. So I think we're all anticipating that we'll have different vaccines come the fall and that you know, uh, depending on how many doses you've gotten, maybe we'll we'll all get uh, vaccines, much like we get flu vaccines every year, at least for this coming year. We don't know what, what happens year after year, though, yet. No, of course not. And um, I wonder, John, 
uh, I've heard different people say or different news clips uh, the possibility of combining the flu vaccine with the COVID vaccine. Is that likely? I know that's one of the, yeah, I know that's being thought about. They're very, very different types of vaccines, but nonetheless, um, not being in the pharmaceutical industry or knowing anything about (gasps) vaccine design, I would have to think that uh, that, that's a high priority. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that would make either one more or less effective. Well, we have examples of giving multiple vaccines at once, you know, so-called MMR for children, measles, mumps, rubella, where we give it mm. one shot, for example. So I, I think there, where there's a will, there's a way. Mm-hmm. Good yeah. point. Let's take a little break. And when we come back, we'll talk uh, a little more about vaccines and move on to uh, the question of uh, vaccines for children, especially those six months to five years. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. This is Emily Rubin, dietitian from Thomas Jefferson University Hospital and the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, here to present you with your nutrition tip of the week. So this week, we're going to continue with our summertime favorites and focus a little bit about vacation. Let's now go to the beach. So save your your indulgences for the boardwalk and pack high fiber, high protein lunches and snacks for picnics on the sand. Think of fresh fruits, veggies, Greek yogurt. You can even do some low fat cheese, some turkey roll-ups, peanut butter sandwiches or almond butter sandwiches and whole grain bread. These foods will keep you feeling full while giving you energy to participate in all your fun beach activities. Riding the waves, playing beach volleyball, throwing a frisbee, building sandcastles, hunting for beautiful shells on the shore, just taking a stroll by crashing the waves are all ways to keep you fit and active. So some of the particular veggies that you could pack would be some bell peppers, broccoli, cabbage, cucumber, and you could dip them with some low-fat salad dressing or even some Greek yogurt. They are all high in antioxidants, fibers, and vitamins. There's a great variety of fresh fruits in the summer. We have um, mangoes, pineapples, strawberries, all rich in vitamin C and also contain other vitamins like A, B, E, and K. These fruits are especially hydrating, such as melons and watermelons, and they're a great way to keep your potassium level high and hydrated. So at the beach, the temperatures may not feel very hot because you have this cool breeze. But that being said, there's still dehydration still can be a major concern. So you want to make sure that you drink either water or have a fruit-flavored beverage or a, a sports drink that includes your potassium and sodium to prevent dehydration. You can also do some fruit added to the to the uh, hydration beverages as well. You could buy a, a reusable water bottle and keep and keep it with you all the time to make sure you, as a reminder, to take sips regularly. This is Emily Rubin presenting you with your nutrition tip of the week. For more information, go to yourradiodoctor.com. I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. When you have orthopedic issues, you need a physician who eats, sleeps, and breathes orthopedics. 
you need an exceptionally specialized Rothman orthopedics physician. They not only specialize in orthopedics, each Rothman physician only focuses on one area of the body, which means you can have confidence that you can get past pain and be what you were. Schedule conveniently online at RothmanOrtho.com. That's RothmanOrtho.com. Are you in excruciating pain brought on by your son, daughter, or spouse suffering from addiction? You are not alone. If you call Recovery Centers of America today at 1-888-RECOVERY, your whole family can begin to recover. At Recovery Centers of America at Devon and Lighthouse, your loved one will be treated with care by expert addiction professionals, while family programming will give you support and healing so that you can recover as well. RCA accepts insurance, provides transportation, and offers intervention services. Call 1-888-RECOVERY. Now, When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like when it comes to diseases, can we strive to treat, prevent, and even reverse them? And how can we make healthcare more effective and more affordable? These are the types of questions that can help impact the lives of so many patients, that help push the boundaries of innovation and healthcare for all communities. At Genentech, we are the pioneers of the biotech industry, tackling some of the biggest questions in healthcare. Learn more at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. Welcome back to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. John Zerlo as our guest. John, we've talked about the COVID boosters, possibly a new vaccine to cover BA4 and BA5 Omicron. What do we know about the efficacy and safety of COVID vaccines for smaller children, those six months to five years of age that are currently being discussed? Well, as we've all seen, these were the last really to be uh, approved. And not surprisingly, I mean, I think we want to be very careful with our most vulnerable uh, population with young children. Happily, children in general, young children, middle, middle, like adolescent children, they don't tend to get particularly ill with COVID. They can, and there are some serious complications that, are, that, that uh, can occur. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a bit of a challenge in kind of making that risk decision for your child. Happily, we have now, we've, we've given these vaccines to millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people, and we really haven't seen much in the way of serious side effects for them. But nonetheless, they are still new. Uh, children are children, uh, and, and conceivably they could be at risk for some complications that we don't know about. Uh, you know, it often takes years to really understand the full side effect profile of a vaccine. So I, I think there's a, a risk assessment that one needs to make. I mean, I think if, you, if somebody lives in a multi-generational household, for example, there are young children, even babies, as well as older people, especially at risk older people, that might tip the, the, the balance in wanting to get children vaccinated to try and reduce the chances that they could, in essence, bring the virus home from daycare, for example. So, um, so I, I think it's, it's a great option for parents, um, but, but I realize there, there are some challenges as we consider vaccinating children. I know one of the questions that, that patients have asked me, and I always say, I'm not a vaccine specialist. I'm not infectious disease. But one of the questions people have is the reports of myocarditis, which of course we know is inflammation of the heart muscle or pericarditis, the sac around the heart. But anyway, any kind of heart involvement as a side effect 
is that very common? And if so, uh, what does that uh, portend for a little child? Or even we were hearing about soccer players, some of the healthiest athletes in the world were getting uh, these temporary, it sounds like, side effects. Yeah, and it, it has been reported mostly in sort of older adolescents, uh, late teens and so forth. And of course, it would be scary to get you know, chest pain and, and uh, you know, shortness of breath and so forth and so on. So far, most of the cases, which are happily uncommon, have, have not been serious. So they've, they've resolved, but not every single one of them. So it's not terribly surprising that, you know, a vaccine could have rare and sometimes serious complications. So uh, it's certainly a consideration. But uh, to emphasize, it is an uncommon and often uh, self-limited problem. Mm-hmm. I think that brings hope to people. Now, we've had a little more than two and a half years of data collecting. Has there been any evidence of a genetic predisposition to COVID? And I ask that because uh, it seems unfounded that blood type is an issue. I mean, for myself, knock wood, don't mean to jinx myself. I have not yet gotten COVID. So I think either my immune system is asleep or I must be evil or do I have the right blood type? <laughs> or all the above? You know, these are such key questions. Um, and, and in some ways to phrase it another way. So, you know, we've seen certainly many circumstances where somebody at home has COVID and they're, you know, intimately, you know, involved with the other person, a spouse, children, and so forth. And maybe one or two people get COVID and the other never gets COVID. Or perhaps they get asymptomatic COVID. So I, I can't answer that question. It's a really intriguing one. And, and in a similar way, why is it that some completely young and healthy people who get COVID get really sick and in fact die yes. of it? Happily, it's not common. Is mm-hmm. there something genetic? Is there something about some kind of prior exposure to a virus that has provided uh, some immunity or vice versa, that a previous exposure to uh, an infectious agent sets off some kind of abnormal immune response leading to this devastating outcome. What we do know beyond genetics, though, is you know the factors that really predispose people to really becoming sick, which is age, which is interesting. And then it's the medical problems. If you, you know, somebody who's 65 is one thing. Somebody who's 65 and has you know, one or more of the following, diabetes, heart disease, liver disease, end-stage kidney disease, particularly on dialysis, um, COPD, uh, all of those things, you know, one after the other, they simply, you know, increase incrementally the risk of serious COVID. So there's something Mm -hmm. about genetics, but there's also something about all these comorbidities, as we call them in age, that, that do something to COVID. Interestingly mm-hmm. enough, if you remember the the famous pandemic, the influenza pandemic a hundred years ago, it was really sure. young adults, young adults who suffered more from from and, and died at a higher rate than what we're seeing now with COVID, which is mostly older adults. Mm-hmm. My mother's mother died in that. Um, Monkeypox, that's in the news. What is it? Is it an epidemic? Doesn't seem to be how prevalent, who's at risk. Let's talk about that for our final few minutes. Yeah, just when we, we were thought we were sort of coming to a close on a pandemic, we're, we're sort of stepping into something that, you know, could turn, in, turn into something. You know, it's, it's a, this monkeypox virus is, is similar to the smallpox virus. It, it, it's misnamed 
Uh, it was named in the 50s after uh, it was first isolated from a monkey, but in reality, it probably has been transmitted to humans through maybe rodents more than, than mm. apes or monkeys or anything else. And, uh, you know, it's, it's native to various parts of Africa, West Africa and Central Africa. And somehow we've, we've kind of come upon a, a spread of virus out of these natural places in Africa. And we're seeing cases, of course, in Europe and throughout the world. Um, so it's uh, kind of new to us. We, we've seen it. It's been around. We've known about it for decades, but we really don't fully understand how it spread the full, the full picture about it. I'm, I'm happy to say that so far, even with all the cases that have been diagnosed, it hasn't proved to be lethal the way mm. uh, COVID has, particularly early in the pandemic. You could say that about Ebola too. Remember that was uh, there was a big rise out of nowhere, but but we had had Ebola in our midst for decades, and all of a sudden there was a rise. Remember that was like the nineties, maybe. I do. Yeah, I mean, of course, you remember. Yeah, I but. do. <laughs> so um, the prognosis, thank goodness, yeah, we haven't seen any cases that caused people to die so far. Uh, is it very prevalent in our area? You know, I don't think we really fully know that. Mm. As of today, I, I looked it up. As of today, there have been 560 or so cases reported in the United States, mm. nearly 7,500 worldwide, but almost certainly that's an undercount. Mm. Um, there must be various um, various severities of illness. Mm -hmm. Somebody just gets a little sick with a cold and maybe one skin lesion, which has become kind of the common thing that people have seen. They never get diagnosed. So I don't think we really know the full extent of monkeypox at the moment. Sure. It's interesting to say that it's transmitted by rodents, meaning that let's say you have mice in your house, would that put people at risk? Or does it mean people who work in a lab? How, how would that be a risk factor? I think, yeah, I think it's these rodents who live in right now, I mean, in places where it's kind of native to it gotcha. rather than, so not rodents here in the United yeah. States, but certain kinds of rodents in Africa. Not Mickey and, and Minnie. Whether, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I don't, <laughs> I don't think we have any risk for that, quite frankly. Is there a vaccination? Uh, let's say you're, you're going to Africa either for, uh, for fun or for work. Is that a recommended vaccine now? For certain no, people? I think where we're trying yeah I think what we're trying to use the vaccine in reality is to stop outbreaks. Uh, we've seen outbreaks in certain populations and if you can identify a case and then do contact tracing as departments of health do, then they would potentially vaccinate all of the the contacts of that individual as soon as possible you know within four or five days to reduce the chances that they will get small uh, sorry monkeypox and mm -hmm. therefore spread it to a further network, uh, you know, of people. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Let's take yeah. a little break and we'll be back for our wrap-up with Dr. John Zerlow. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Hi, I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. That's Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some of these Medicare Advantage plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. 
and all plans include dental, vision, and hearing benefits with no co-pays for routine exams. Medicare's highest rating, Philly's most popular plan. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. When you have joint pain, you need a physician who eats, sleeps, and breathes joints. Someone so focused on their specialty, they've written the book on it, literally. You need an exceptionally specialized physician from Rothman Orthopedics. They not only specialize in orthopedics, each Rothman physician only focuses on one area of the body, which means you can have confidence that you can get past the pain and be what you were. Schedule conveniently online at RothmanOrtho.com. Official orthopedic partner of the Eagles, Phillies, and Sixers. Now, your weekly prescription brought to you by Genentech, the science-driven company that pioneered the biotech industry to transform how we treat the world's most complex health problems. Dr. John Sarlo, always a pleasure and a treat to have you talk about COVID and, and all things infectious. What message do you have for our listeners to take away? Yeah, I think the message, it really has to do with, um, you know, where are we going with COVID? Uh, you know, if you think about it, nobody alive was has been around for this kind of pandemic. I mean, just traveling through my career, starting with HIV and AIDS, and then going through various, you know, scares with SARS and MERS and Ebola and Zika and so forth and so on. We've never really experienced this sort of full-blown pandemic that really has been a worldwide thing. So, you know, our response has been, you know, we ratcheted it up and then we ratchet it down, then back up again as we see variants arise and so forth. What, what will normal be? When will we get back to normal? When, for example, in, in my line of work in healthcare, when will a cold be just a cold? Right now, if healthcare workers get anything that seems like a cold, first thing we do is get COVID tested. And I think that's probably true of the population at large. You know, when are we going to get to the point that, that we truly get back to normal? I'd have to say, though, as, as time has gone on, this summer so far feels the most normal that I have felt. Uh, I don't see many people wearing masks, um, at least in, in most circumstances. I think people kind of feel it's over, even though there, there really are a lot of cases around. Um, so what we are seeing is that people are getting COVID, but given the broad immunity in the population from previous COVID, as well as vaccination, we're just not seeing people getting as sick any longer. And so I think that should be somewhat reassuring to all of us. Um, so I think the take home message would be if, if you're young and healthy, particularly vaccinated, I think life goes on. If you're older, have medical problems, especially if you're unvaccinated, you need to be careful. And of course, goes without saying, we urge everyone, particularly people at risk, to get vaccinated. We, this is really proven study after study after study reduces the chance of getting serious COVID. Uh, if you're going to get COVID, you want to just have it as a cold. So I think that's where we are, I think, in July of 2022. Who knows what's going to happen in the next you know, cold and flu season? Uh, only time will tell, but um, I, I'm, I am optimistic about where we are at this point mm -hmm. in the pandemic. 
So you want people to still look both ways before they cross the street. And number two that I tell my own patients repeatedly, if you have symptoms, either GI or respiratory and you're COVID negative, don't do a dance and say, Yahoo, I'm good. You could still have pneumonia or you could still have some other serious illness. We were at that place for a little while that people said, yay, it's not COVID. I'm good to go. No, you still need to see your doctor. You don't want some other runaway train to get ahead of you. Yes? Sure. Of course. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us. And I thank Genentech for sponsoring this wrap up your weekly prescription. And Take care out there, and thank you, John, for all your great work. We really appreciate you. Again, thanks for having me. Now, your real champion, presented by the Rothman Orthopedic Institute. And now for your real champion. I call this segment The Patriot. This evening, I invited your real champion to share some of his own fantastic story. Tom Conley has spent almost 40 years amassing an incredible collection of unusual U.S. flags, well over 250 in number. He is a vexillologist, a scholar of flag history and design. One of the country's most respected collectors, he's appeared on the cover of Forbes magazine, and he's been contacted by the Smithsonian Institute, all intrigued by his collection. His mission to share the history of our great nation as seen through the evolution of the U.S. flag design with presentations at schools, convention centers, even presidential library tours. Welcome, Tom. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being here with you, Marianne. Tom, we shared a great conversation the other day. Your story began when you set out to find a piece of art for a wall in the entrance of your home. You were on a business trip in Atlanta, You walked into an antique store and your eyes fell on a U.S. flag with 38 stars. You were so intrigued because the stars were in an unusual pattern. So when people ask you if you collect flags, you say? No, I collect American artwork at its best. And do you still have that 38 star flag? I do. And uh, a lot of other ones like it. And it's sort of funny that uh, it's a great place to start, uh, Marianne, about the uh, about that 38-star flag. Um, I'll give you a quick history on our flag. We started off with 13. We have 50 stars on our flag now. So we've had 37 different changes of our flag. We're the only country in the world and only flag in the world that has had anything like that. Some flags have had two or three changes, but nobody has had 37 and here our flag has is still remaining exactly the same. Going back to the 38, um, it wasn't until the early 1900s that an actual rule was established governing the design of the flag, the stars, the number of points in the stars, and the way that the stars were organized in any kind of a pattern. So up until the early 1900s, you could do anything you wanted with the flag. You could put the stars into circles, medallions, ovals, star patterns, flower patterns, anything. It was limited to the creativity of the flag maker. And going back to the 38-star flag, I've had well over two dozen 38-star flags that are all different. Every one of them is different. And I know of at least another two dozen that are out there. Um, So there it's, 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 there, there's differences within a flag's star life um, unique to the 37. Each one individually has a variety as well. So that's the artwork that I collect. 
Awesome. And 38 represents when Colorado joined us. And I know that from listening to you, I really want, I'm going to repeat this a few times. YouTube, there's a presentation by Tom or a YouTube video called American Flag Presentation by Tom Connolly. That's C-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y. You can find it on YouTube and we'll say it again. But from listening to that and our great conversation, you have flags from the 1700s, from the Civil War. You did, at least for a while, have the flag from Woodstock and the stars were in the shape of the peace symbol. Am I right about that? That's correct. Wow. That's correct. And my favorite is on your wall that you showed me in your den. It's the only flag shaped like a shield and it was hanging over George Washington's head on the balcony of Federal Hall in New York City on the day he was sworn in as president on April 30, 1789, right in your home. Awesome. Well, I have that specific flag. It is not necessarily the only shield version of the flag. Uh, Quite frankly, there's a shield of our flag on our $1 bill on the reverse side of the currency. There's a $1 bill that has has a shield uh, on that. But of that specific event, uh, sworn in as our first president, I have that one. And that was from April 30th, 1779. Wow. So of all the flags which you've had and held in your hands. You told me the one that really brings meaning is the Bible flag. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's hard to pick and choose favorites, uh, but this one, uh, this one, uh, I guess we've all sometimes have had things that we, we let get away and then had regrets. And this is one that I regret uh, allowing to, um, to move on. This was a little flag uh, that was given uh, what they called a Bible flag. When an immigrant would come into America, what they often would do, they'd be presented with a small, maybe six inch by 10 inch flag folded up into a little manila envelope. And it was expected to be put into the family's Bible uh, in the back of the Bible. Uh, The story that I found this flag, um, it was written, handwritten on it in ink. And it said, first train of America prisoners of war was traveling through Lausanne in Switzerland on on November 29th, uh, 1918 or 18 or 19, I guess it was. Um, and so here it was a POW flag, which is very, very rare to actually find a POW flag. But what was especially unique about this is that during the First World War, there were 45 stars on our flag. And this little flag um, had 42 stars on it. So it dates back to the early 1890s. And here it was, and I can only presume what happened. It was in the little manila envelope when an immigrant came in. They were presented with this uh, uh, new flag to represent their new country. And 20 years later on, their son goes off to war and they present him with their Bible flag to go back to, I presume, their uh, to their heritage uh, area of Europe, and he fights and becomes a POW, and he's carrying that flag around. Our flag represents an awful lot, but one of the elements that this flag represents is sacrifice, and that's a uh, that's just on a whole nother level of uh, uh, of importance to the flag. And Tom, I'll say briefly from watching your video and listening to you. I learned that Betsy Ross may not have been the first seamstress and what's uh, what was considered glorious stars 
uh, maybe six to 10 points. But when Betsy took fabric and cut it up, it came out with five points. And you say that's maybe a practical lesson in cost cutting. <laughs> <laughs> so they resemble the spurs yeah. on a cowboy's boots, but that's still cool. And the blue yeah. field of a flag is called the canton, which is old French for the corner. And it represents our union um, with the stars for each state. And it, when it rests it rests on a white stripe, but when in times of war, it rests on a red stripe known as the blood or war stripe. Tom, when you see the flag being hoisted or raised, what comes into your mind and heart when you see old glory flying in the sky? I, our flag represents our country. So it's not like you're looking just at a flag. You're looking at everything that our flag represents. And um, I, for one, am very, very proud and uh, of our country. So when I see that flag being flown, raising, um, I, I just look at that with an awful lot of pride in our country. Unfortunately, unfortunately there's, there's too much focus on negativity on a lot of things these days. Um, and there are many areas that may need some further attention, but... We, if you focus all on negativity, then that's all you're going to be seeing. Uh, America is just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful country. The longest running government in the world, over 200 and some odd years. No country can come anywhere near us on the longest running government. We have a lot of things to be proud of. So when I see that flag, um, I reflect back on all the great things America has done and is. And you think of your own parents and your own grandparents and what they've lived through. And really, as you say, it represents our living republic, and you're a big Constitution fan. We all are, but um, sometimes you say that that's really the birthday of our nation, the day that the Constitution was recognized, and it begins with those famous words, we the people of the United States, we're still working to form a more perfect union, and it is the flag that represents that love of country and the hope that people will work together because the more you learn about your history, it reminds you why we should be so proud. And so many people have said, those who don't study history, we're doomed to repeat it and not the good parts. Exactly right. You know, our flag has been able to accommodate new states coming in, as has our constitution. We've had over 20 different amendments to our constitution. So both of them have grown. Well, I uh, ask our listeners to take the time to go to YouTube, American Flag Presentation by Tom Connolly, you're a real champion. We salute you, Tom Connolly, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Listen to our show again on odyssey.com forward slash 1210 WPHT. Thanks to our great sponsors, Independence Blue Cross, Recovery Centers of America, Rothman Orthopedic Institute, and Genentech. A very special birthday shout out to my beautiful niece, Christine, celebrating her recovery from her miraculous pancreas transplant. And... A shout out to my honey bun. Our wedding anniversary is on Monday. Hint, hint, 7-Eleven, two lucky numbers, because I'm married to the most loving, thoughtful, and funny husband a girl could find. Love you, Stewie. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a happy, healthy, safe week with the ones you love, and always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com.
This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Hi, I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. That's Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some of these Medicare Advantage plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. And all plans include dental, vision, and hearing benefits with no co-pays for routine exams. Medicare's highest rating, Philly's most popular plan. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. 